Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. We're finishing up Growth Plan, and we're actually talking about the ways to grow your faith. As we, talk, as we begin 2023, we know that the area that matters the most in growing this year is your faith, and why? Why is this the most important area? Because we know that at the center of our relationship with God, it is based in faith. And I know you're like me. There are a lot of things I want to do this year, but I would really love to know him more. I would really love my relationship with him to grow more. And it is all around our faith. And this is so important because without it, according to Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to please God. And if I do a lot of great things this year, but I don't please him, then I will not have had a good year. And so that's why we're beginning the year talking about the area that matters the most. And then here's what we want to do. We want to be super practical on how you can grow your faith. And one of the maybe the most simple ways is I am inviting you to consider memorizing a verse that I think will be an, a tool for you to continue to use in growing your faith this year. It's a verse that the Lord really brought to my attention, and, and I've put it to memory, and I'm inviting you to put it to memory. It's Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. I want to say it once, and then I'm going to invite you to say it with me. This is a conversation between uh, the Lord and Moses about 3,500 years ago. And it's, the verse is, And then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, God said, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, God said, he will drive them out of his country. Exodus 6.1. Would you just say that out loud with me? Say this verse with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Exodus 6.1. Now, I've been debating on whether or not to do this. Do you feel like you know it? There's a nervous like, oh, my neighbor's about to find out whether or not I know this verse. Let's just try it. I'm going to say it loudly so it'll kind of shadow you a little bit, but follow me, okay? Exodus 6.1. Let's give it a go. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Exodus 6.1. Way to go. Give yourselves a hand. You got it. That is a simple way to grow your faith is to take some of these things and put them in your heart. And at the right time, they seem to kind of come up and offer encouragement. It's one of the reasons we like to continue to just keep weekly putting another verse to memory and we'll just keep doing that week after week now here's the thing even if you want to grow your faith even if you're like yeah I'm all in that's something I want to do this year the question is how how do you do that and that's why we're trying to let this series be so practical we're talking about the five ways you can grow your faith and here they are in review if you've missed the entire series you're here for the first time perfect we're going to summarize it all first is personal ministry we believe that when you serve in the church and you serve other people's faith your faith grows can I just tell you as a dad my kids who serve in ministry they are all serving in some capacity I love it because it helps the church but more than that as a dad I love it because their faith will grow and it's a great way for us to take steps in that way. I can't wait. Those of you who are coming tonight at 5 o'clock, I can't wait to see you there because I believe you're going to be taking a journey 
where your faith will grow. Secondly, we talked about providential relationships, being in a group. The reason why Ginger and I are in a small group and we love that is because we want our faith to grow. And I want that for you as well. Thirdly, we talk about providential circumstances. Though you can't control them, you can be prepared for them by being in community. We aren't meant to do life alone. And then private disciplines. As Isaac talked last week about our personal time, getting alone with God as Jesus was intentional to do, it is how we are intended to grow our faith. And then today's the one we're going to talk about, and that is practical teaching. Now let me just be honest with you. These aren't original with me. About 15 years ago, I heard pastors Reggie Joyner and Andy Stanley line out these five things that they had believed that these are the ways people have seen their faith grow. And as I, over the last 15 years, I've heard people share their stories of faith with me and how God grew their faith without exception, repeatedly, it always fell within one of these five categories. And personally for me, as my faith has grown, every time it's within one of these five categories categories. So I genuinely believe this is how God grows our faith. Believe in it so much that we've reoriented our entire discipleship model, our entire spiritual formation, the way we want to not only share Jesus but build believers and building believers. We believe it's around these five things. So we want to be a church that's helping position people for the work of the Spirit in these five ways over and over again. With all that said, let's talk about today's fifth and final way God tends to grow our faith. There's a report from Columbia University that said 76% of the respondents said that being, having higher education actually allowed them to have a more enriched life and to have personal growth. In other words, as Americans, this is kind of across Across the, the, the country, there is a big assumption that most of us have. The more knowledge we have, the better off life will be. We say that because we feel like we have better earning power, we have more job options, we have greater job security. The more knowledge we have, the better off life will be. If I can get more educated, my life will just be better. I, I think that's starting to trend maybe a little away from that. Where we're realizing, wow, this is a lot of money. We come out of school with a lot of debt. I'm not sure this is always helpful. But that has traditionally been the assumption. The problem is that assumption bleeds over into our faith. And because we live in a country that so values education, we begin to think in our faith or our relationship with God, we have this assumption. If I had more knowledge, my faith would grow. If I just knew more about the Bible, then I would have a better relationship with God. And I don't know about you, if that's how you feel, I think that's natural within most of us. In fact, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if that's not something you've made a decision to do and somebody invited you today, maybe they even promised you lunch afterwards and that's kind of why you're here, we just want to say we're glad that you're here. But let me tell you a little secret about the Christians who are in the room. We all feel like we don't know enough about the Bible. We all feel a little bit intimidated and wish we knew more. And because of this assumption, what we think sometimes is if I knew more, my faith would be better, is that we think if I knew more about the Bible, I would share Jesus better. If I knew more about the Bible, I would lead a small group. If I knew more about the Bible, then I would have a, a more satisfying relationship with God. The challenge with that is, we're going to look today at a sermon that Jesus himself preached. It's the most famous sermon of all time, Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that sermon, he summarizes it all and he says this, that simply isn't 
true. It's not about knowledge when you have a relationship with me. Jesus is going to make that crystal clear. And I think that's paradigm shifting in a nation that so values knowledge and education that when it comes to our faith, there is something Jesus values more. And that's what we're going to talk about today because this is a way that we can grow our faith. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll follow along in Matthew chapter 7, the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at the very end of this famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. I want to give you a quick background to this famous sermon. It's recorded in your Bible in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. And what's unique about this sermon, it's in the timeline of Jesus' public ministry. This is at the beginning of his public ministry. This is early on in his ministry. And what he's really doing is he's outlining where he's about to go. He's kind of given us the blueprint for the kingdom of God. He's essentially saying this is the groundwork that outlines not only uh, practical morality, but also his authority. So he's outlining all of this. And the audience of this message, and this will be important later, are his disciples. These are people who are already following him, and he's wanting to teach him the ways of Jesus. Now, the setting for this is probably a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and he begins to give this famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're going to look at is the very conclusion of that sermon in Matthew chapter 7. But what's interesting to know is what his disciples were thinking while they're listening to Jesus teach. I mean, I don't know what it would be like to hear Jesus teach, but it's fascinating to me what the disciples were thinking. What the disciples were thinking? If I just had more knowledge, my faith would grow. And you know why we know they were thinking that? Because of how Jesus concludes the message. He knew that humans tend to think this, and he wanted to correct that thinking as he concluded this message that he knew would be preserved for us. So with that, we're going to look at verse 21 in a second, Matthew chapter 7. But before we even get there, <clears throat> I just got to confess something to you. The verses we're about to look at haunt me. Because these verses that we're about to look at really, I think, target where we live here in Texas in a culture that has a lot of cultural Christianity to it. Because... Before coming here, I was a pastor in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is considered to be the most unchurched region in the country, certainly one of the most, if not the most. And the truth is, while I was there, there was no doubt in my mind that I was on the mission field. And then when I moved back home to Texas two years ago to come here to this great church, LifePoint, if I'm honest, I felt a little insecurity about that because I began to think, am I still on mission? Or have I taken the easy way to come back here where there are so many Christians and so many churches to a place we even call the Bible Belt? And as I've wrestled with that, as I've prayed about that, as I've read about that, here's what I've come to genuinely believe. This is not only an equally important mission field, in many ways, it is a more difficult mission field. Because unlike the Bay Area, there is no confusion. You are either a devout Christian or you are not a Christian at all. Here, most people would consider themselves Christian. 
Most people here have a familiarity with Christianity and their familiarity causes them to believe they have a relationship with Jesus and therefore they've got that kind of taken care of. And that's why I believe this actually becomes more difficult. I believe people who live here amongst us generally in Collin County are even doing fine financially and there is not an obvious need for God. And what happens is you have a lot of friends and neighbors and co-workers and people who you go to school with who have settled for cultural Christianity. I love what, if you wonder, what is cultural Christianity? What Dean and Sarah says in his great book, Unsaved Christian, he defines it. He says, cultural Christianity admires Jesus, but doesn't think he's really needed except to take the will in a moment of crisis. I think most of the people that you and I know they know the song Amazing Grace. Most of the people that we know might even have the Ten Commandments hanging in their home. They might even read Psalm 23 at a funeral. They might even say grace before some of their meals. They might even have a Bible or two in their home, even go to church occasionally, especially on Christmas or Easter. But there's still a big gap, and there's a big problem, and these are the verses where Jesus is going to address this crowd I believe it specifically targets our friends here in Collin County and that's why this verse haunts me and I want to share it with you because these are the words of Jesus if you're new to church you may say well, what's a problem with all that like why is that a bad thing for people to know and be familiar with Christianity and why isn't that enough and watch what Jesus says in verse 21 as he's wrapping up this famous sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's not what we say. It's not even what we know. It's what we do that reveals a relationship with Christ. So that means just because we know Christianity doesn't mean that we are known. In fact, your faith isn't revealed in your knowledge, but in your obedience, in your following of Jesus. But here's the part of the verse that's most haunting. Look at verse 22 and 23. Jesus goes on to say this. Many will say to me on that day... Lord, Lord, we did, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? Jesus says, and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I just want to break down three parts of that haunting verse. First, he says, on that day. What is he referring to? Jesus is making it clear that there will be a day when we all stand before him as an individual. And he says, and by the way, I'll be the judge. And our life will be evaluated. And we won't be evaluated based on who we married, based on who our parents or grandparents were, we will be based on how we lived our life. And the question to ask ourselves is, 
Is what has my attention right now and what I'm prioritizing something that I will be glad had my attention and I prioritized on that day? And then he goes on to say, and on that day, a lot of people will claim, yeah, but we did things in your name. And this is dangerous because especially here in the Bible Belt, we like to slap Jesus' name on stuff all the time. Say, well, God told me or, you know, I'm doing this because, you know, it's in his name. The bottom line is, He's saying, first of all, careful not to take my name in vain. Third commandment of the Ten Commandments, right? He's kind of reminding us of that. But he's also making it clear he's not talking to atheists. He's talking to people who are doing things publicly in his name. They're publicly associating with Christ. I'm good with the man upstairs, right? And he's saying, on that day, there will be people who think they did enough, and they even did it in my name. And then here's the haunting part. And I will say, I never knew you. And this will be a surprise to people. An atheist, this wouldn't be surprising if all of a sudden they find out there is a God and they just chose wrongly. But to someone who thinks they're okay because they're familiar familiar with Christianity, what he's revealing is, you can know Christianity without Christ knowing you. And there will be a day when some people stand and they are surprised. And he says, I never knew you. And this, I think, is much more relevant in the Bible Belt than in unchurched regions of our world. Where here, we are often saying, Lord, Lord. And he's saying, but I don't know you. You hear, but you aren't doing the will of the Father. In other words, sometimes here the challenge is we got to get lost. We've got to discover we don't have a relationship with him to realize how much we need a relationship with him. Haunting verse as Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. But he's not done because now he's about to shift our thinking. As these disciples are listening, he says, and based on that, Therefore, he said, as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, look at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and, say these next four words with me, puts them into practice. I just realized I can't move on until I just say this. If that's you and you're not sure that when that day comes and you stand before Jesus that you have a relationship with him that is rock solid and you are sure of? After the service today, can I invite you just to come to the back area here and let us pray with you? Let us talk with you and, and, and let's discuss that and, and, and let us encourage you. And I'll be out in the lobby. I would love it if you came up to me and you said, you know what, I just want to settle this issue. I just want to pray about getting that thing settled. I would be so honored if you did that after the service today. I would love to pray with you And let's get that settled before you leave. Because there there is no greater thing to solve on this planet than do you follow Jesus, yes or no? And the Bible says you can know that you know. These things are written so you can know. So you can be confident. And so after the service, I would love to pray with you so that on that day, he will instead say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. Come and enjoy the master's happiness forevermore.
That's what we want to hear. That's what we want to hear. All right. So with that said, he goes to his disciples. Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just hear. I want you to put them into practice. And if you put them into practice, he's saying something very specific. Jesus doesn't just want students. He wants followers. A follower of Jesus is someone who says, I'm going to do what Jesus said simply because he said to do it. I might not understand it yet. I might not even agree with it yet. I might not know why this is good for my life or why he wants me to. But he said to do it. I'm going to trust Jesus knows things I don't know. And I'm going to do what he said. He said it's not enough to be a hearer, but to put them into practice. Now with all that said, i got to be honest with you and tell you, I sometimes, when it comes to practical teaching, this is what Jesus is emphasizing, it's not until you put it into practice that your faith can grow. It's not about knowing the truth. It's not enough. you got to put it into practice. I sometimes feel some insecurity in teaching. And let me tell you where my insecurity comes from. My insecurity comes from sometimes I hear people who are so academically um, impressive, so intellectually lofty, that I am drawn to that. I love that. I mean, if you're one of those people I hear Christians say all the time, like, I just love the deeper teaching. And I'm with them. I, I totally know what they mean. I embrace that thinking. I mean, it's, it's something about diving into the original languages is something about really studying in biblical history or systematic theology or doctrinal nuances I, I have a graduate degree in theology I like those things but there is something that I recognize in fact my daughter Reagan and I we were driving to church this morning she was getting ready for for worship uh, rehearsal and she goes dad there's this one pastor that I really love he's out of state and she and I both love it him and he's an author and he's, he's just God's just giving him so many insights she goes but what I realize is I like him and he is a great pastor of Christians but if I was bringing someone who didn't know Christ or was new in the faith I don't think that would be a real helpful place to take them it doesn't make it wrong it makes it different doesn't it and I have to recognize, okay, I have insecurity as we live in the Bible Belt, as we live in the shadow of a seminary, DTS, and as we have all these mega churches around us, there are a lot of different ways that I think you can communicate the Word of God effectively. But one of the things I haven't done often here is explain, here's how we do it, and here's why. And that's what I wanted to just take a minute to do it, and then I'm going to really make it practical about the Word of God and how we should be interacting with the Word of God because Jesus really wants us to get that clear. It's different than I think we assume often about truths of Scripture. But the reason that, that we want to make sure that this is practical week in and week out, number one, because Jesus said, put it into practice, so we feel like, you know, that's probably something we should do we should spend a lot of time at the end of each message going how is this truth helpful for you who have real lives and real jobs on Monday morning at eight o'clock how does this impact your day-to-day -day life don't want you just be an armchair quarterback that's wrestling with with 30,000 foot things but it doesn't impact the way you live day to day this is putting it into practice we want to be a place where we're doing that but it's more than that one of the one of the my favorite quotes when it comes to a type of teaching is Charles Spurgeon who's considered by many of the many to be the prince of preachers, but 19th century preacher who said, many pastors are tempted to be a student of the Bible during the week and they become a professor on Sunday. He said he encourages pastors to be a student of the Bible during the week and become a shepherd on Sunday. And whether I do it well or not, that is my goal, is to be a shepherd on the journey with you 
And we're all trying to apply these truths in our lives, and we want to be transformed, not just informed. And the truth is, information doesn't equal transformation. It's information plus application that equals transformation. Now, let me tell you the why behind it all. Because some of you are like, I don't really care, Mark. Just, 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 just hear what Jesus said. But I, I get excited about stuff like that. But I just want to tell you, I, I want to tell you the why behind it all. When I was in the Air Force, I had two friends that didn't know Jesus that I became really close with. And I was trying to live out my life and share Jesus with them. And they were very kind about it. And I was also very active in a church that I loved that taught the deeper things of Scripture. And I eventually was able to, bring, to talk them into coming. I don't know if I promised them a meal or I just, you know, blackmailed, knew something on them, but, but they eventually came. And, and their names were Carlos and Skyba, and they came different services, each of them, and they both came one time. And what happened was when they came, the people were kind enough, they weren't rude, we sang songs that they had never heard, never knew, in a style that they weren't familiar with. It was certainly more traditional. And then whenever the message was preached, a man that I love who's in heaven now, who was so faithful in his ministry and who God had taught, had, had wired him to teach the way he was teaching. I am convinced of that. But he was teaching a prophecy series and we had a big chart and, you know, it included, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and, the truth is, they were just sitting there going, what is this? I have no idea what this means and how to apply it. And after the service, they said it in their own way, but both of them said this, I am so happy that that is a good place for you to be, that these are good places. And I knew what that meant. I ain't coming back, <laughs> right? And I thought, well, something is wrong because I love these guys and they want to know Jesus more and be in a Jesus community enough that they're willing to come and try it. And I know these people and they love Jesus, but why can't we figure this out together? And so this ladder, if you're wondering, why do they have a ladder on stage? This is why. Most churches, I am convinced, who are like what I'm describing, do this. They spend most of their time with the intellectual loftiness and doctrinal nuances that we all enjoy if we've been a follower of Jesus for a while. And when new people come who don't yet know Jesus, they walk in and they go, I came to church, and that's too big a step to take. And I'm glad that works for you guys. Your marriages seem good, your life seems good, but I can't take that step. It's too big. On the flip side, there are some churches that put the bottom rungs and not the higher rungs. And what we want to strive to be, and we won't get it right every Sunday, what we want to strive to be is a church that has all the rungs on the ladder. What we mean is we want to be a church where Jesus says put it into practice, where we're making it as practical as can be, and we are going to talk about difficult, complex things in Scripture, we're going to talk about the hard things, but we aren't going to leave people behind and hide behind intellectual loftiness either. We want this to be a place where you can grow because we're being practical and be a safe place where you can bring that church, unchurched friend, that unsaved person that you know and care about, that this is a safe place to bring them because our vision, which is to be, be a place where 
anyone can belong before they believe requires that we teach in a way that we bring everyone along. And so not only am I telling you this is how we teach, I want to tell you this is why we teach, because the Carloses and the Skybas of the world deserve to have a place where they can grow and know more about Jesus, and you deserve to have a place where you can partner with them and bring them so they can know more about Jesus. And so that's why not only is our vision driving the way that we teach, I believe Jesus is honored because we are emphasizing how to practically apply these truths. I care about this a little bit. I just wanted to share that with you. All right. When it comes to growing our faith, what we do is more significant than what we know. And this is where Jesus drives home the point in the rest of verse 24. Imagine hearing Jesus teach. He wraps it up and he says it this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus, pretty good teacher, and by the way, all the topics that he addresses are very practical, whether you are a follower of his or not. He's talking about very practical things like anger and lust and keeping your word, all the things most people struggle with, so I love how practical he was. And he says, if you do those things and you put them into practice, here is the result, Jesus says. You become like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words... Jesus is saying, there's a storm coming. And here's how you build a strong foundation for the storm. And so he takes a minute to compare two houses that look exactly the same, but have very different foundations. One is built on the rock, it's solid, and the other is built on sand. And you would think one is like doctrinal error and doctrinal truth. One is more knowledge, one is less knowledge. It has nothing to do with either of those things. Jesus is making the point that, no, it's the practicing of the truth that is the difference in the foundation. Look what he says. Uh, verse 25. Verse 25, he says, What happens is whenever you have a good foundation, the rain will come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. How? By practicing the truths. Well, that's interesting. And then he gives a contrast to that. Look at verse 26, he says, But, disciples, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, you're just learning stuff. You are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Your foundation is different based on what you're applying in your life. So then, he says, the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Both houses looked similar, but only one endured the storm based on the foundation of practicing the truth. So when it comes to growing our faith, what we do is more significant than what we know. And if I'm a Jesus follower, I'm just going to do what Jesus said simply because he said to do it. Real practical application. Some of you may remember in 2018, Hurricane Michael ripped through Florida and the Gulf of Mexico. And as a result, so many houses were destroyed and unfortunately many lives were lost. But the New York Times did an article and featured one house that didn't fall, that withstood the storm. And I want you to see a picture of just that house that was featured in the New York Times when most of the houses around certainly received damage, most of them even destroyed. And when the owners of the house were interviewed, what they said was, well, we just decided to build a house that was a little bit different. 
He said, most of the standard building code around here requires that you build a house that can withstand 135 mile per hour winds. And he said, we decided to build a house that could withstand 250 mile an hour winds. And one of the biggest differences is the foundation. They decided to take 40 foot pilings, drive them deep into the ground to give it the kind of foundation that could withstand what they called the big one, a major storm. And here's what Jesus is saying to you and I. The storm is coming. He didn't say if, he said when. And what he teaches us is, you will not withstand the storm if you don't have a strong foundation. And so we come back to the assumption that many of us have when it comes to our faith, that the more knowledge we have, the better off we'll be. And that's like making the house prettier and ignoring the foundation. And Jesus says, it's not what you know that grows your faith. Instead, it's what you do with what you know that grows your faith. This is how our faith grows. I think most of us know enough, and maybe we would say we just aren't doing enough. I'll be honest with you, when I read what Jesus says when he said to love your enemies, I got enough to keep me busy for a while until I figure that one out. To forgive people who've done horrible things, I got enough to keep me busy for a while. I don't need to learn more. I probably need to do more. And this is where Jesus is pushing at the end of his message. It's sort of like unapplied truth is sort of like paint. You can have access to all you want. You can accumulate all you want. It doesn't do any good until it's applied. In the same way, the truths of Scripture, we've never had more access to it. And we can learn all we want and acquire all we want, but it doesn't do any good, Jesus says, until it's applied. Let's close this way with this question. Are you a fan of Christianity? That's the cultural Christianity. Now let me ask you something real personal. Or are you a follower of Jesus? And if you aren't, but you are interested in learning how to take that step, would you let us pray with you today in the back? I would, I'll be in the lot. I'd love for, for you just to say, hey, I just want to talk a little more about that and pray with you and get that most important issue settled. Because on that day, Jesus will be the judge. And it's about a relationship. And that's it. And then the second question is, what is something you have been taught in Scripture? What is it that you know from Scripture that you're struggling to put into practice? Let's be honest, that's all of us. Most of us know enough that we need to be wrestling with things that we've not yet figured out. We've not begun to practice some things. And if you're new here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know that I know enough to even put things into practice. Well, this might be a good place to start. This book, Matthew, records the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives us this famous sermon. So you could, might just want to go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and notice the things that Jesus talks about. And you will notice things that most of us are struggling to put into practice. But as you read the scriptures, as Isaac said last week, we want to spend time alone with God. 
And as you do that, the goal is not to read your chapter or to read your three chapters. The, the goal is to interact with the author of the book, right? We want to know God and to wrestle with what he's teaching and applying it in our lives. That's where our faith grows. So as the disciples were listening, Jesus covered all these things, all these themes, and their temptation was to learn more. And Jesus goes, nope, it's putting it into practice. So as we wrap up this sermon, we also wrap up this series. And I just want to give you these five things one last time. Five things that will grow your faith, church. First is a personal ministry. Secondly is to, have, to recognize that there are providential relationships and so to position ourselves so that we can make those relationships. And then there's pivotal circumstances. There are storms coming for all of us. Are we positioned to withstand it? And then fourth, as Isaac taught last week, just our personal time with Jesus, are you engaged in private disciplines? And then today, practical teaching. Are you listening to, look, I'm going to keep listening to the podcast of these other folks that I love that do, but, I, but we want to spend time being practical. How does this impact our life on Monday morning at 8 o'clock? Now, having said all that, let me give a caveat to this series before we move on. You still can't do it on your own. Like, it's not like these, you do these five things, you plug them in, and then you're guaranteed the result that you want. Growing our faith is a lot like a sailboat. It requires both a sail and it requires the wind. Our job is to position our sail so that when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows, we grow. And when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows, and the wind will blow, and your sail isn't up, you miss the opportunity to grow. And I believe with all my heart this is how we lift the sail. And we are now positioned for the wind of the Holy Spirit to grow our faith. In other words, as we started the series, when I do what I can do, and then trust God to do what only He can do, then my faith will grow. This is our part. And He promises to do His part. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful to serve a God who cares so much about us he didn't leave this unclear because he wants our faith to grow. So this year, my prayer for you is whatever you do this year, that your faith will grow, that your confidence in God will increase, and that this year, you will end the year with greater dependence on him. And if that happens in your life this year, it'll have been a great year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who loves so unconditionally that you sent your own son Jesus to this earth to teach us and ultimately to give his life for us. And then in his ascension, you teach us that you sent your spirit and your spirit moves amongst us even to this day. God, help us to position ourselves to be changed by you, to trust you with what only you can do. And may this be a year where, like never before, we open our hands and grow our faith and confidence in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.